to another episode of Beside the Author with me, Renika, your host and narrator. I deep dive into the books alongside the actual author in an in-depth study so you as current or future readers can get a deeper understanding of the author's intended message. In this season, we're examining a book called The Hidden Tree by Valton Brown. The Hidden Tree is a book that examines societal philosophies, ideas and inventions to expose and discuss the historical out-of-sight route system that is fueling the largest global transition since the Industrial Revolution. A round of applause for the author, Valton Brown, please. Thanks ever so much. Thank you for having me. That's all right. Hello, Valton. So, Last week, we discussed chapter one, trading in the souls of men. We touched on the Genesis account, the introduction of sin and its consequences, and explored what trading in the souls of men meant. Today, we will be going through chapter two, and that chapter is called The Soil, the Blood of Abel. Let's start with the overview, Valton. Imagining we are opening the chapter for the first time, can you briefly describe to readers what they will uncover with minimal spoilers, if at all possible. <laughs> That's a tricky one, but um, I, I would probably say that in this chapter, uh, you'll begin to think about the components of soil and its purpose, um, why it's so important to the beginning of the book and its role later on as the the sort of backstory begins to unfold. So I think that's what you would probably get at the beginning of that chapter. That's great because your book uses a lot of imagery yeah. um, throughout and metaphors to kind of share that message. And the hidden tree itself is a metaphor for a wider system. Mm. And so, like you said, you've mentioned the word soil and that's what I've kind of pulled out as two strong metaphors for this chapter, soil yeah. and the seed. So let's start with soil. Okay. In the opening paragraph and page of this chapter, you vividly describe soil you talk about it um from a biblical viewpoint of how the soil was where humanities come from but then you also go into exploring how soil is not a fixed entity even though we think we say soil and everyone thinks exactly the same way and just reading a little snippet from your book you say soil can mean different things for different people if you ask most people they'll probably refer to the soil being a mixture of minerals and decomposed material To a civil engineer, the soil is loose material that isn't rock. And by the fact that you're emphasising soil so much, I can tell there's an importance for this soil. So what does the soil represent in the hidden tree? Well, let me start by saying that the the way that I I was inspired to write that chapter is a mixture of what I see through the lens of the Bible, but also because of my background as a a chartered architectural technologist. I design buildings and work with buildings all the time. So this idea of soil being different and meaning different things to uh, different people, um, it is is important because I understand that if you are going to build on ground that's waterlogged, you know, it's in a floodplain, it has different issues to ground that's quite stable without water affecting the foundations. So drawing from that and drawing from that experience, when I was looking at this subject, it made perfect sense to me that um, the use of soil 
both in my experience and in the Bible, was very important. You know, it was key. As you mentioned in the book of Genesis, it's one of the first things that is mentioned that God made the first human being from the earth. And then from that first human being, he made uh, a female. So the components of soil, the components of the earth are so important. So coming back to the, the chapter itself, in, in the simplest form, soil is then used to represent the heart. Yeah, the heart of man, the environment which uh, is used to, to nurture the ideas that, that a person may have. Yeah. Uh, so that's really what soil is to me, it's the heart of man. And when you look through the Bible, it's a similar um, use, when, especially we'll, as we'll see later in the parable that um, Yeshua uh, gave. Yeah, it's really interesting how you say the soil is a representative of humanity's heart and that our heart is a place that affects the different mm. ways we think and see the world, I guess in a metaphorical sense, because yeah. we know our heart is not um, yeah. ch changing yeah. our thinking. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But then also on page 19, you say, I'd like to suggest to you that the whole business of slavery was the soil. So mm. is are you also seeing the soil as slavery and slavery being a parallel metaphor yeah. as well as um, the soil meaning humanity's heart. Yeah, the difficulty with conveying the message that I received in a written form is that it was so complex that the only way of uh, conveying that, or certainly the way that I was led to convey it, was to use these images so that we can attach our thinking to something, as Yeshua would do in the parables, and then explain what that application is. So as you mentioned with slavery, in this particular part of the, um, of the account, it's important to understand that slavery, um, it had a lot of questions, it still has questions for people. You know, they'll, they'll think, well, how could something so atrocious go on for so long? And certainly for those that are, are Christians, they'd be left with the question of, well, why would it have happened in the first place? I mean, it's, it's something that sits there as a, a stain on the history of humanity, and it's, and it's got questions all around it without the answers. So I put forward a, um, an answer, which is that slavery went on for such a long time because the heart of men was, as God would put it, was desperately wicked. They turned the whole industry of buying and selling men, women, and children, taking them from their homelands and selling them across uh, the, the waters to different places in the world, that, you know, they took that and, and made it into a global business, which is hard to understand today. I mean, if you take any of the big companies that sell us products, whether it's food, clothes, or otherwise, and then you put slavery in as one of those items, you start to realize this takes a particular way of thinking to be able to do this for this period of time. So the environment um, which was created from slavery, I describe as being the soil. So slavery is the soil. It's an important thing to remember because that soil will be this, the planting place for something that required that kind of environment to grow. Because the soil itself, it, it actually affected the way that people think and even has affected the way we think today. So it had and has a, a very important uh, role in the story and narrative of the hidden tree. Yeah, and 
we'll probably jump back to what you've been referencing as the parable mm. in this chapter um, to really start to hone in on how you've been able to join our heart um, as a conditioned place and also how slavery and the mindset around slavery mm. is connected to that. Sure. Um, so this parable you've referenced here is called the parable of four soils, but then it's also more well known as the parable of the sower. Could you just explain why you brought in this parable and the importance of it to the chapter? Yeah. Um, interestingly, because of our Western mindset, when we read the Bible, it's, it's interesting how the emphasis that we get because of what we teach from our, as I say, Western mindset in our churches, um, can be slightly different to someone who may have uh, been raised within the Jewish community and reads the Hebrew scriptures. So what I've done within the book is to draw from other scholars who have looked at this account and sort of put it back into its context. So as you've mentioned, it is referred to as the four soils, because when Yeshua was telling this parable, he didn't give the conclusion until he'd got everyone into this story, right? They didn't know what the punchline was going to be until the, the ultimate end of it. But what he did, he, he described four soils, four soils. And as we said, the soils represent the heart conditions. So with slavery, it's impossible to have an industry that goes on for so long without the heart condition of the people involved being open to that kind of um, business. So basically with this parable, it shows you that really good connection between how the heart is needed to develop or grow these ideas that exist yeah, within society. Definitely. And I think that leads me to the next question, because out of this parable, you've highlighted there's a seed, which is the truth. So is the word of God, which mm -hmm. Yeshua was pointing to. Yeah. Um, and saying that you can either accept it or it can be taken away from you and it all depends on how you've listened and mm. grasped it. Mm. But then you bring in a counterfeit seed. You mention a counterfeit yeah. seed. And I would love to know what this metaphor is. Yeah, well, again, as um, anyone would, would know, if you read the Bible and you're, you, you know, it forms part of your lifestyle, the foundation to your lifestyle, um, You'd, you'd understand that wherever God is doing something, wherever there is truth, for example, and he is truth, then there will always be the counterfeit. We get that in the book of Genesis, and I'll, we repeat this many times, where we have in the Garden of Eden, the first couple walking in perfect unison with God, there's no issues, there's nothing between them. But then the serpent enters the garden and introduces an alternative way of thinking. Straight away, that's the counterfeit. And that continues right through the history of the Bible and our history, because that's what the Bible relates to. So with the, the, the soil and also the seed, the seed being teaching, it's some form of teaching. I mean, you could even say or apply the seed to philosophy, which is what I've done in the book. I've actually said, well, this is a form of teaching. This is a belief system, but this seed could not grow unless it's planted. Well, where is it going to be planted? Well, we've established that there has to be an environment for the seed, and any gardener would know that, any farmer. So the years of slavery 
that was molding and shaping the way the world operated and thought, the ideas, the concepts that were waiting for the right object to pin itself to, uh, came in the form of this seed. Uh, and this seed I, I refer to as Darwinism or evolution. It was then planted into the soil that had been waiting and prepared uh, for its, its presence. And when it was planted, of course, the environment was perfect because the language of Darwinism, the philosophy that would grow from it, uh, had all of its nutrients or toxins, as I prefer to call it, from the soil itself. So if you look at slavery and, and the different aspect of it and how it affected people, it created a perfect environment for something that was a counterfeit to the teachings of God in the Bible. And as a result of that, the seed uh, was able to grow in a way that still affects society today. And I think it's a good wrapping up part of that section to do with what the soil represents and what the seed represents. If we go back to page 16, mm. which is the first page of this chapter, you say it is with this understanding that we can now begin to explore the soil that provided the nutrients for a new era, an era that would begin with the sowing of a counterfeit seed using the same satanic agent who entered the Garden of Eden and planted it in the heart of the first created couple. So we've got all those imageries that we've just discussed uh, in a summarized version. And I wanted to ask you, because you used the word twice, new era. What is the new era that was ushered in? Right, so we refer to um, major transitions in history as um, revolutions. So the Industrial Revolution, for example, which again is going to come in later in the book, when I was looking at this subject and, and the information really was just bombarding me and my thoughts were wandering around this, it was like, hmm, new era. When we look at when evolution and the theory of evolution exploded it was exactly when uh we had new inventions that hit the scene i mean i tried to list the numbers of different inventions that happened but it was also the introduction of new thinking and at this point there was a major transition away from what was accepted as the norm for many years before so Christianity started to become something that was out of vogue because now we're so intelligent, you know, we can, we can uh, work it all out ourselves. And so these so-called great thinkers were borrowing from people that had died many years before, such as Plato and Aristotle and, and Greek mythology and the Greek ideas were being reintroduced into the public domain. And it all really happened because of that seed of Darwinism. Uh, He's not the first to have thought about evolution and how we came into being. But for some reason, this man became a catalyst for ideas that were floating around, waiting for the right time to present themselves. And for the first time, his ideas could be presented as being scientific. So it's from that point that this new era began. You know, and when you look at that particular period in time, you can see the shifting and changing of how we we uh, did business, how um, machinery was beginning to uh, be introduced into the, into the life of, of many people, and then how the lifestyles were also changing because of it. So it literally was a new era. Uh, and that's where, as I say, the subject is quite complicated. But then as you follow the, 
thread through from chapter to chapter, then the gaps get filled. So as I mentioned, the Industrial Revolution, that is put in there in clear, clear form so you understand what role or what that means in the context of the book. Yeah, and you mentioned that um, in this new era that the Christianity mm. went out of vogue. However, in this chapter, you include different primary sources to expose the mindset of the time regarding slavery to show the heart condition of everybody mm. at that time who could accept slavery and then be ready to accept the, the seed. But you include voices of religion, and yes. I really want to hone in on this. You include a voice that supports slavery. Yep. And he uses the Bible to do this. And he was called Reverend Josiah Priest, who published a book called Bible Defense of Slavery and Origin, Fortunes and History of the Negro Race, a very long title. Mm -hmm. And in this book, he makes statements like the existence of free blacks in any community, whether free or slave, is universally admitted to be an evil of no minor consideration. Their removal, therefore, is a matter deeply affecting the interests and well-being of both races. So we see here he's wanting to use the Bible to stop the existence of free blacks or slaves within the community at the time. And then you include a counter voice of a man called Charles Finney, who was a preacher at a similar time, who was then condemning slavery. And he said, a divine influence seemed to pervade the whole land. Slavery seemed to shut it out from the South. And he was referring to the revival at the time. The people there were in such a state of irritation, of vexation and committal to their peculiar institution of slavery, which had come to be assailed on every side that the Spirit of God seemed to be grieved away from them. So why did you include religious voices to demonstrate the heart condition at the time, even when it would slowly be going out of vogue? Well, this is the interesting thing about this whole account. First of all, Darwinism isn't considered to be a religion. Most people would see it as scientific. It proves how the world began, etc. I beg to differ. And that's based on the information that I discovered going through this whole account. Now, when we get to the two representations of two religious men, two preachers, it was important to highlight the fact that within this period of the soil being prepared and the seed being sown, there were people that were using the Bible in a way that was not correct, okay? Because we have this idea, or some, should I say, I don't want to generalize too much, that all preachers are preaching the truth, they're unbiased, they are the voice of God. But here in this period, I think Josiah Priest, he published his book in 1852, he would have been preaching to a congregation that go to their service every week, listening to this gentleman. And yet he was able to come to the conclusion, being a Bible reader, that uh, the condition of a black person is perfectly designed for slavery. I don't know how he came to that conclusion if he, if he read the Bible, but it just demonstrates how what we perceive as being a, a religious belief system that comes from Christianity, how in fact that's so untrue. The Bible was purely used as a means of getting people to believe that slavery was fine, because that was part of the mindset. You cannot put someone like they did into chains, beat them, abuse them, kill them, without first dehumanizing them. 
And so the whole infrastructure, and this is why I say the soil, because it was everywhere, it was global. The whole infrastructure was influenced by that kind of toxin. And some of these preachers don't apologize for it. Now, I'll fast forward. So Josiah Priest, he would have preached about how um, slavery is fine and used the Bible to legitimize it. However, on the other hand, those that know about Finney as being a man that had an encounter with God and uh, was filled with the Holy Spirit, he recorded how when uh, God was moving and saving people within America, that there was this, this disparity between those that supported slavery and believed in it and those that didn't, and how that those that supported slavery and vehemently defended it, how the Holy Spirit could not save lives in those areas. And that was a very poignant thing to, to discover. So it clearly demonstrates two sides of a coin to say, actually, let's get this right. And this is to people that believe in Yeshua. Let's get it right. There is nothing in the Bible that supports this kind of mentality, this kind of mindset. And someone like Charles Finney, attested to that. So I made sure that my own opinions weren't put into the frame, but I would use the voices of those that were present at that time and, and then draw from that to allow the reader to see and hear the reality of this soil and its effects. That's really interesting. So at that time, every facet of society was ready yes. for this new era to come. And that new era... Yeah comes out and you talk about it in the next chapter which will be our next episode so I don't want to delve in even further there but is there anything in this chapter that you would like to add as a lasting note for our listening? I, I would say that it's, it's so important for us to guard our hearts the bible gives us this caution over and over again uh, we can believe anything we want to believe and it isn't true that Religion is the cause of much of the unhappiness around the world. It's really the heart of men that's the problem, sin. And so when we look at this particular chapter, and I would say to the reader, keep going. Keep going through each section of this until you reach the end of the book. It's important to not stop, but just follow through. Because what I believe will happen is that the reader will also sort of do a scan in their own heart of what do I think? What do I believe? and then actually apply the word in the correct manner. And it's so important because Josiah Priest wasn't the only one. We have modern history where in the Holocaust, there were many Christians as well that uh, took a stand with Hitler against the Jewish community. And, and that question of how could someone who was a friend or a neighbor or even a family member overnight literally switch from being the loving, kind, compassionate person into a hater and a murderer? It just doesn't make any sense until you place the the concepts and things that were influenced by back into their right context. And uh, the soil was so important. It did prepare the hearts and minds of people for what was coming next. I dare say that's where we are as well. Thank you so much, Walton, for joining us today. It was a very informative conversation that we just had. I look forward to being able to look at Chapter 3, The Root System, in the next episode. And as a listener, if you enjoyed what you listened to today but haven't purchased the book, 
The book is available on all major retailers such as Amazon and Waterstones and reading along will really help you to understand where we're coming from and the topics we're talking about. And we hope you can join us for the next episode of Beside the Author. Have a good day. Thank you.